If you'll open with me as promised, Exodus chapter 33, I guess I didn't promise it necessarily, but this was my suggestion that we would be considering the events here in Exodus 33. Sought the Lord on it. For some reason, we're going back to the Moses well. You know, I'm not sure why we've spent so much time considering Moses. I guess I could have said that we were doing a Moses series, given that, well, we've considered him on Sunday evenings a number of times in the last several Sundays, but... I'll leave that to the Lord to determine, but we're going to read to begin with verses 17 through 23 in Exodus chapter 33 and consider this rather remarkable situation, this rather remarkable event that Moses uh, took part in uh, with our shared father. So the Lord said to Moses in Exodus 33:17, I will also do this thing that you have spoken for you have found grace in my sight and I know you by name. We'll talk about the context here momentarily. And he said, Please show me your glory. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, Here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock. And will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And that's where we'll pause and ask the Lord to bless once again this consideration. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that again we have the privilege of glorifying the Almighty God. And Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are worthy of this being glorified. And Father, all that power and all that might and strength that you created this world with and all of these other things that we can see and can't see, Father, I thank you that those, that same strength, that same power is wielded on my behalf, Lord, and on behalf of those ones who love you. And I thank you, Father, that we can trust you for this. Help us to take peace in this, Lord, and to remember the power that is held on your part that we can partake of, Father, and to remain in the awe that we should Well, that we should hold it in, Father. Bless us tonight, Lord. Help us to be, if need be, help us to be awestruck by your word, by your will, by your way, by your glory. We give you that glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this conversation that took place here between Moses and the Lord, just in giving you the backstory of it, if you aren't quite familiar with it, perhaps, it was after Moses first received the law, it was after Moses left the mountain, went down to go present the law to God's people, found that they had been cavorting and doing all sorts of idolatrous things and carnal things, and those tablets were destroyed, as the Lord was. Upset's kind of a small word for it, but he was upset with the people of Israel. And so, well, those tablets were broken. Uh, They were judged for their sin, those ones were, and you can read in the 32nd chapter, I won't go there. But 3,000 men fell there in verse 28 of chapter 32. You can read that. 3,000 fell during the judgment that the Lord had for those ones for their missteps, for their sin, for their rebellion there. And so then God met Moses and wanted to replace those commandments because he still had a blessing for the people of Israel. 
And he told there in, well, the first verse of chapter 33, he tells Moses to resume the trip there to Canaan. We can read that. Then the Lord said to Moses, depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. It doesn't matter necessarily, at least in this context. It didn't matter that they had rejected and rebelled. In that moment, the Lord made a promise to them, and he was holding fast on his side. And so when he told Moses to proceed and to take these ones up, Moses had some thoughts for the Lord that he wanted to consider. And so we're going to read another large passage here, moving down to verse 12, or moving back, rather, to verse 12. We'll read verses 12 through 17. Again, to kind of give us a historical, uh, just a framework here to understand what had been going on. In verse 12, it says, And Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight. And consider that this nation is your people. Moses knew who they were, and Moses knew what their hearts were. Moses knew what their... Hearts were going to continue to be likely without an intercession on the part of the Lord. And so he intervened for them. And the Lord said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, with patience... And with grace here, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And then we're set for that exchange that we opened with in the opening passage there, where Moses said, show me your glory. Please, he says, please show me your glory. And so tonight we're going to consider what it was that Moses was asking for when he asked the Lord to show him his glory, what it was that God had promised him in that conversation we read a moment ago, and what it was that God would end up showing him. Uh, Well, despite what Moses might have asked for, they weren't all exactly the same things, were they? And that was actually good for Moses. So let's consider that first point. What was it that Moses was asking for? Um, you understand back in 14, 33, 14, we just read that verse where he said, well, the Lord said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. He told him, Moses said, show me your glory. This, this is what I'm, this is what I'm looking for. Show me your glory. Now in the context of what we considered this morning, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I kind of feel like I need to say this. This morning we talked about the glory, the weight of exaltation and the weight of of our esteem for the Lord, glorifying the Lord. He's worthy of all of that. We talked about that glory that goes, well, His direction, Godward from us. Tonight we're considering that glory when He says, show me your glory, we're considering that glory that God has whether or not we honor Him in it. That glory remains. That glory is there. Uh, It doesn't matter whether or not we exalt Him, whether or not we admire that and observe that and offer Him glory, our own praise and exaltation in return. The glory is there. That's what Moses is asking for, this weight of substance of who God is. Uh, In the Hebrew here, going back to this 14th verse, where it says, He said, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. In the Hebrew, that word presence... 
interestingly enough to me, is the same word that's translated face in verse 20. When he says, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live, when he asks to see his glory, it's the same word that's there. So I point this out because that might have been why Moses asked for Well, what he did here when he said, show me your glory. You might say that Moses said, you say that your presence or your face will go with us. You say that you're going to come with us. If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here, he says in verse 15. And then in verse 17, God assured him that he would. He said, I'm going to go up with you. My presence is going up with you. My face, if you want to say it that way, will be with you. And so Moses said, show me, (laughs) show me your glory. Let me see your face, I guess you could say. Let me know your presence. Now, this word glory here, as I mentioned this morning, it is the same word in the Old Testament as that glory that we considered this morning, that kabod word. It's the same word, but it's different, you understand, as I mentioned a moment ago. Looking less at our esteem for the Lord and more at what he holds, the weight of his presence. The Lord said, Well, not the Lord, but Moses said to the Lord, show me this weightiness. Show me the substance of your glory. Show me, let me feel it, I guess you might even say. Uh, Back when I was still on the job back over here, the cops came by when tasers were just coming into, uh, well, into common mainstream use in police departments. And I remember when Lee Summit got theirs, their tasers, Lee Summit PD, the fire department did not carry tasers, but uh, and they came over and they wanted to show them off. And so I talked with a number of the different cops about the tasers and their interest in using them. They said, yeah, one of the stipulations for us in order to use these tasers or to carry these tasers, we have to take a seven second ride. That's what they loved saying. They were super proud of their seven second ride. Seven second ride? Sounds like a long time. They said, yeah, you can set it for three seconds, and three seconds feels like three hours. Seven seconds feels like about 24 hours. They have to take a ride and feel the, the full weight of that tasing. And I got to watch a number of people get tased, a number of civilians in certain contexts and connotations on different scenes. I got to watch the PD, a couple of them take their seven-second ride. I watched a number of well, fire guys on A-shift They lined up and hooked arms, clipped one taser lead on this end, all the way at the other end, they clipped another taser lead on that end, and they got down on their knees, and they lit them up for three seconds, and all six of them, chunk, fell right right over. It was a ridiculous thing that they did, and I thought it was hilarious, because it just was what it was. Extremely painful. But those cops have to take that full ride of seven seconds. And so I consider Moses here looking for something along those lines. Lord, I know who you are. And I've had experience with you. And I'm going to get to that in a second. But just kind of putting myself into Moses' situation. I have experience with you, Almighty God. And you're telling me your presence is going with me. I've asked you not to leave, not to leave us to our own devices. I want to go with you. And I want you to come with us. And I have this experience at the burning bush. It says that he saw the glory of the Lord to a measure in chapter 19, chapter 24, when the glory of the Lord came down on the mountain, when he was giving him the law and the commandments and those things. They saw a measure of the glory of the Lord rather powerfully, actually, when you consider the thunder and the clouds and all of those things. It says that that Moses spoke face to face with God at the tabernacle of meeting. 
He was separated, segregated before the tabernacle, and then later the temple was established. Moses' own tent, you might say, was established outside of the camp, and Moses met with him with just Joshua there on hand. Moses met with him singularly, face to face, it says. The Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend, it says in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 11. He hadn't died in those moments. It wasn't too heavy for him in those moments to see the Lord face to face. But what he asked for here when he said to the Lord, show me your glory, based on the Lord's response, it was something more than just the glory that he had seen before. Now when it says that he spoke to him face to face with God, you might say that's an idiom, you might say that that's a figure of speech. You know, I I speak to people face to face. It doesn't mean that I'm full on in their face. You can be on FaceTime with someone and we're kind of face to face there. But I can't smell their breath through my iPhone. That's a good thing. But, you know, I'm speaking to you face to face. The doctor, we have teledoc meetings now, appointments, where you can see the doctor and kind of look face to face and he can assess and address and all of those sorts of things. Kind of face to face, but not quite the same. Not full face. I can look back there at... My Aunt Kathy, we're kind of face-to-face right now, but my eyes are getting a little bit tired this evening. She looks a little bit blurry. I can't tell exactly everything that's going on, every facial feature. Maybe she can't see everything of mine. We're face-to-face, but we're not face-to-face up close to one another. There's something different here. Um, When he asked for the glory of the Lord to be shown, he was talking about the weight of it. He wanted to feel the weight of his presence. Show me your glory. Show me full-on face-to-face. Now, evidently, it was something that he wasn't to see because he didn't get it. And the Lord told him no. And I don't fault Moses in this. How come? Because it doesn't appear that the Lord faulted him in it. The Lord spoke to him rather just matter-of-fact. He didn't chastise him. He just simply explained to him what he would do instead of showing himself face-to-face the fullness of his glory in verse 19 back in our text, Exodus 33. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. There's a long road ahead for Moses and the people of Israel. He could be speaking in that context. He says, I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. My presence is indeed going to go with you. And he also said what he wouldn't do in verse 20. But he said, you cannot see my face. For no man shall see me and live. You cannot bear the fullness of my presence. You can't bear the entire weight of my glory. He knew what Moses was asking for. I want to feel it, Lord. Give me that seven second ride, so to speak. You can't take this. You can't handle this. You ever have a kid ask you for something rather stupid? (laughs) Ignorant, I guess, is a better word for it. But you sometimes think, well, if you actually gave them what they asked for, how entirely detrimental, dangerous it might be to them. Daddy, can I help? Can I help you with this? I'm jacking up the car, you know, a 2,400-pound car. Can I help? No. <laughs> no, you can't. First off, you're not strong enough. Second off, if it does kind of come down, you're going to be in, in a place to get hurt. A uh, little kid might ask you to, well, can I play with your power saw? Can I, I don't know, play with a hammer, whatever the case might be. And if you're a good parent, you say, no, you don't smack them and say, oh, you want the hammer? You know, you don't, you don't just hurt them in the moment. You just tell them, no, no, how about you help me with this? And you give them a rag to go clean something or whatever, something that's painless. Uh, the Lord is good. 
the Lord is a good father. And I think that he recognized Moses didn't have anything, no wrongness in his heart, I guess you could say. He wasn't asking something, perhaps he was asking amiss, but it wasn't because he was looking for, it seems, wasn't because he was looking for something that he wasn't entitled to necessarily, or or that he was looking for something for the wrong reasons. He did ask for the wrong thing, but it seems like it wasn't for the wrong reason. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 15, Paul told Timothy this. I think we can take this to the bank, right? He who is the blessed and only potentate, he's speaking about the Lord, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light. It's not something that our natural bodies can handle, Moses included. Moses died, it seems, with the same vigor that he had when he was young. His body was maintained by the Lord. It didn't matter. He might have been yoked. I'm not sure what Moses looked like, but it said that he had vigor, and he was was still with it and sharp when, when the Lord took him. But he could not, well, he could not approach that light, that weight, that glory of the Lord. Dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Elsewhere in Scripture, we see the same thing. No man has seen God. They can't bear it. I wonder sometimes, and again, I don't want to speculate, and I don't want to place fault where the Lord hasn't placed fault. But if I just look at this and consider Moses as being a man like I am, and a person like you are, I wonder if Moses' dealings with the burning bush and seeing the glory of the Lord on the mountain and seeing the plagues that he was given firsthand understanding of and implementation of, being the conduit that he was for the Lord and the vessel that he was for the Lord, having that, I don't ever want to say that he had the power to do this, but he wielded the power of God, didn't he? I mean, remember, Moses stood there by the Red Sea and he said, he told Israel, Behold, the salvation of the Lord. and Split, right? Incredible things. Moses was given to see a number of remarkable things. And you wonder if as those things built up and he had that awareness of those and that experience and that context of having seen those things, you wonder if perhaps he might have maybe lost sight, maybe not, well, somehow believed that he had seen great power, Lord, go show me your glory. Show me your glory. I've seen all of this. Perhaps confirm this to me by showing me your glory. And maybe losing sight of the fact that the Red Sea was less than the Lord's finger swiping through a, a, a drip, a puddle. Frogs, give me a break, man. That was nothing to the Lord to just will a mass of frogs that drove the Egyptians absolutely mad. It was nothing to him to do that. Uh, He has power just that is unfathomable. And perhaps, again, perhaps, don't, don't take this to the bank, but perhaps Moses lost sight of that and said, Lord, I've seen so much. Show me, show me your glory. Show me the weight. Bring it. Let me understand this and, and feel this. In any case, well, God, God allowed him to see what he could see, but didn't allow him to see what he could. And he held him back. He said, no, I've got this. Parents allow their kids to do what they, what they can. Here, hold this, hold this flashlight. Those are words of terror to most young kids. When dad says, hold this flashlight, because, like, man, <laughs> I'm not going to do this right. No, I said, here, you know how it is. The Lord said, I'll let you hold the flashlight, I guess you could say. 
In this case, God let Moses see what he could. And we read about this rather mysterious event. Let's go back here to verse 21 of Exodus 33. The Lord said, here is a place by me. You want to see my glory? Let me give you what you can see. Here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock, so it shall be while my glory passes by, passes by, not, not, not standing before you face to face. As it passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. It was a statement of what he was going to do. Uh, it doesn't actually present him actually doing it, but the inference is there, I believe. I believe the Lord did just as he said. I believe that he placed Moses in a crevice of a rock, whatever size it might have been. I believe that he allowed the weight of his glory, the fullness of the weight of his glory, the fullness of his presence to pass by. And he put his hand on Moses so that Moses would not become, well, be put himself into the universe, as it were. He wasn't going to be vaporized. He protected him. The, the hand, when it says that he put his hand on him, it's the palm of the hand. That's a tender thing to me. Because the palm is a tender place. And the Lord put it and rested it upon him and protected him. And he allowed Moses to see his back once he had passed. I believe that the King James, I meant to look at this once again, it slips my mind, but I believe that it is hind parts, perhaps? Someone have a King James version? What's, what's the term? Back parts? People have debated this, what it means exactly, but I think that we can just take it for what it is, that it is in whatever manifestation it was. It was after it had passed, he saw the remnants, the hereafter, what remained there, the back of the Lord as he passed by. What did he see? I don't know. What did it look like? Not sure. I can't tell you exactly what it was, but what I know is that it must have left an impression on Moses. Because it would have been rather remarkable. And we know that, well, after that, over the course of the next several days that he was with the Lord, receiving, again, two more tablets to replace the ones that that he had destroyed earlier. We mentioned it this morning. His face shone with the glory of the Lord. He had to veil it over. Because other people were afraid of it. And I think that this event that that took place with the Lord here, well, lended itself to that shining face. Lended itself to that outward appearance that Moses had. This is, again, rather mysterious when you consider it. When you look at it and you think, man, what exactly was this? How much of this was literal? How much of it was figurative? All of these things go through your mind. And again, it's a rather interesting thing that has puzzled a lot of different people that have been scholars of the word for years. That being said, we don't need to know everything about it to know how it applies to us, at least to some measure. And it does have an application to us. We talked about this morning. God's glory being experienced through Christ. Glorifying the Lord because we have the right, the direction, the shared purpose with the Lord Jesus. And that shared desire to glorify God. This morning we looked at our giving God the glory as we shared that purpose with the Lord Jesus and found Him worthy of it. And I believe we are blessed as a people in order to that we have that opportunity to glorify God. And I believe that we are in a similar position as Moses was here Well, after the Lord passed by. I think that once he walked away from that situation, once he walked away from this scenario, having seen the back of the Lord, having been covered, having been placed in that cleft, he was moved by that and impacted by that, taught by that. 
And I do believe that that after point is where we find ourselves today, at least figuratively, and I'll tell you why. Because the Lord has done much for us that he did for Moses in that specific situation. How so? Well, in verse 19, the Lord told Moses, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Has the Lord's goodness passed before us, saints? Absolutely it has. Has he proclaimed the name of the Lord before us? Absolutely he has. Has he spoken of being gracious and been gracious to whom he will be gracious, been compassionate to whom he will be compassionate and continue to do so? Absolutely he has. What is all of his goodness? I will make all my goodness pass before you. Well, just getting right to one word of it, it's Jesus. I can tell you this. Jesus is the embodiment of all of God's goodness. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. But if God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us, consider the weight of all of these things that Jesus became for us. Wisdom from God and righteousness. Righteousness alone is what is the only thing that brings us into the presence of God. That is goodness. That, that is as good as anyone has Well, no one else can offer the measure of righteousness that Jesus alone offers. But look how he gives us the abundance of that life, wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord, the Lord Jesus included. Hasn't Christ passed before us? Hasn't the Lord Jesus walked on? He spent that time here on this earth, well, 2,000 years before I walked here. Hasn't his name been proclaimed before us? Has the Lord shown compassion? Yes, he has. Romans chapter 3 and verse 21. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law of the prophets and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. Of course we see Christ figured here when, well, when we see him saying, I will present all of my goodness and have it pass before you. It doesn't end there, that promise, that, that, well, that act that the Lord did for, <clears throat> excuse me, that he did for Moses there. It doesn't end. It went on in verse 21. And the Lord said, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. <laughs> Who's the rock? I don't have to ask you this. Who is our rock? So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand While I pass by, I don't have to tell you who the rock is. That rock is Christ. Furthermore, the cleft in the rock is Christ. We know that Jesus bore the righteous judgment of the Father's full glory that was exerted on him in Calvary. It took his glory to wipe away all the sin of all mankind. We know that the Lord Jesus is the one who bore that. As his Father passed by, he bore the brunt of that. Well, his father put his hand upon us, and you know, Jesus' hand was right there. We couldn't bear the presence of that righteous judgment. We couldn't bear the presence of that righteous glory. We couldn't bear the presence of that extremely heavy weight of glory. His broken body was what took it. John chapter 10 and verse 28, he speaks of that. Kind of gives a very similar statement here in regards to what we just read there in Exodus 33. Jesus says, and I give them eternal life, 
And they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand, those ones who want to be in his hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one's able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one, so if no one can snatch out of Jesus' hand, no one can snatch anything, anyone out of his Father's hand, and they both have their hands wrapped around us, how safe are we in the cleft with the Father's hand upon us when his glory passed by? Pretty safe. Pretty safe, I'd say. Now, how do we know that all this work has been done on our behalf? How do we know that Jesus lived as he did, died as he did, protected us as he did? How do we know about the righteousness and holiness and the weight of glory that is involved in our Heavenly Father? How can we make all these correlations that we make here? In verse 23, back in our passage, it says, Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, my hereafter, what's left behind. My face shall not be seen. But you'll see what is left, what is behind, what remains there. You know, you see all kinds of trackers and, and these different, you know, different people with different talents that they're remarkable. They can go out in a big snowy woods up in the snowy mountains and they can say, yep, an elk was here three days ago and he went this way and he stopped here and, you know, ate a snack and then he went that way and then he laid down over here and all this and then they, they find the elk. You have different people who can see different things based on the things that are left behind that I look and I'm like, I don't see anything. You know, I see snow and I see, you know, grass, whatever the case might be, but people have talent. Uh, The Lord makes it to where you don't have to work very hard to see where he's been. You don't have to work very hard to see what's left hereafter after his glory passes. He has let us see the back of him Well, at least in this illustration, what remains after he passed by? What remains of Christ yet in this world for us? What remains of him teaching us of the rock and the cleft of the rock? Mark 16, verse 15. That is a great passage. See what else we've got. I have, there it is. Go into all the world, Jesus said, and preach the gospel to every creature. When I'm gone, you go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature, what I'm leaving behind, what I have left, my hereafter, my back. You might say, listen, there are other illustrations, other correlations to be made with what's left when the glory of God passes by. But this word here, it's something that is remaining after the glory, after the perfection, after the deliverance, after the, the glory that is Jesus Pass by the glory of the Lord. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. His word that was made flesh and dwelt among us, more powerful than any two-edged sword we understand. That's what's remaining. That is what is hereafter. I see that we have a lot in common with Moses in this, again, mysterious passage, this mysterious account. I believe we've been blessed immensely with the fellowship that we can have with the Lord. Fellowship that we can have in glorifying Him in our lives through Christ, in the Spirit, by His Word, learning His Word, taught and presented to us by the Word. So much, perhaps, that sometimes we might too. I'm not going to say too, because again, that's speculation on Moses' part. I'll speak for myself. So much experience do I have with the Almighty God and His goodness and His righteousness and His deliverance and His power and the depth of His Word and all of these things that He does for me. So much experience I have personally that sometimes I forget about the weight of the glory that's behind those things. 
Sometimes I lose track and I lose sight of just how magnificent it is. The Almighty God cares enough. Think about the testimony, saints, and how many of you, myself included, stand up and say, this is just a little thing. Just a little thing. Brother David was praying to go find his dog here recently, and it was, seems like a rather miraculous thing that happened that a guy found his dog. Seems like a little thing, but as David told me, the Lord cares about the things that we care about. It is a little thing for the Almighty God. It, just because it's a little thing, don't, don't lose sight of the tra- fact that he's not a little God. That's what I'll say. Just because he does little things for us, don't lose sight of the fact that he is a huge God, a powerful God, an almighty God, who if we ask him, show me your glory, you know, you do so much for me, let's just, just bring it all to me, just bring it all. I would destroy you if I did that, the Lord could say to us. And so he was kind to Moses, kind to Moses and reminded him, I'm going to protect you in a manner that no one else could. Nothing else could protect you in the manner that I'm going to. In the cleft of the rock, with my hand over, and then I'm just going to walk by. And you will be grateful that I covered you up. Grateful that that glory passed by and that you're only going to see the hereafter. What's left behind. Saints, may we not lose sight. May we not take for granted the size, the power, the glory, the weight of glory that our Heavenly Father is comprised of, and that He wields on our behalf, and that He holds back so that a goofy creature like myself can partake of fellowship with Him, can glorify the Almighty God through the grace of Jesus and His sacrifice. May we never forget that we serve a mighty, all-powerful God who protects us even from Himself and protects us from ourselves. Give him the glory because he is do it. He is an almighty, all-powerful, heavily weighted, glorified God.